Well, thank you very much, and Shabbat Shalom, everyone. It is really a great honor and pleasure for me to be able to uh, join you on this historic occasion. Uh, I've actually never uh, been here before, but uh, I already feel at home in your midst. Uh, I uh, actually have extended family uh, here at uh, Congregation Emmanuel, so I feel like mishpacha. And uh, I have former students, more actually than uh, I realized. I have former students who are members now and leaders of this congregation, none more able and distinguished uh, than Rabbis Jonathan and Beth Singer, uh, whom we are installing this evening. Uh, as you heard, they were uh, my students at Hebrew Union College in the 1980s, and their wonderful daughter, Rena, was my student at Brandeis last year. She's on track to be a great rabbi as well. <laughs> now, actually, I understand that rabbinic installation services are not so very common uh, here at Congregation Emmanuel. Uh, it is a tribute to this congregation that many of your rabbis have enjoyed long and happy careers. I was reading Fred Rosenbaum's vision of reform, and I learned there that there are really only eight great rabbis that stand senior rabbis, many great rabbis, but only eight senior rabbis, each got a chapter, that stand between Rabbi Elkin Cohen, who assumed his duties here in 1860, and uh, Rabbi Singer, 153 years later. So if I counted right, you round out a sort of minion, an egalitarian minion of uh, historic uh, Emmanuel rabbis stretching from the Civil War to the present day. This evening, I actually want to look back even before the Civil War to an historic letter sent by the president secretary and other members of this congregation to Rabbi Isaac Mayer Wise in Cincinnati, dated April the 18th, 1857. Rabbi Wise was the great architect of Reform Judaism, the editor of a newspaper then called The Israelite, and though still only in his 30s in 1857, he was already one of the best-known figures in American Jewish life. If you wanted advice on hiring a liberal rabbi in 1857, you wrote to Rabbi Wise, and that's what the leaders of this congregation did. Reverend Sir, their letter began, we have been appointed a committee on behalf of Congregation Emmanuel of this city to correspond with the Atlantic side 
Actually, Cincinnati does not border on the Atlantic Ocean, but I guess it's closer to the Atlantic than the Pacific, so we'll let that pass. On the subject of minister, a matter which has occupied our attention for the last two years, and we are sorry to say, without accomplishing the much-desired result. Tis true, the letter continued, we have had gentlemen officiating here, but owing to certain deficiencies in their peculiar capacity, their stay with us has been but limited. But still, the congregation highly esteem them as men of learning and moral abilities. It's actually a quite fascinating comment, for it reminds us that though learning and moral abilities are necessary for a rabbi, they are surely not sufficient. Rabbis in 1857 and today must also be role models, teachers, visionaries. They need to be pastors, prophets, and priests. They need, in short, to possess those elusive qualities that distinguish true leaders. Now, the specific deficiencies of Congregation Emmanuel's earliest officiants are not spelled out in our letter, but we actually do have a sense of what they were. On one memorable occasion back in 1854, Rabbi Julius Ekman of this congregation was actually the first rabbi in the entire Western United States. He was a man of very substantial knowledge, not always great wisdom, and he had a dispute with your congregation's lay leaders concerning the hiring of a shochet, a ritual slaughter. And Jonathan, that's not something you're likely to have to worry about. When Rabbi Ekman lost that dispute, he rather indiscreetly took his revenge in the newspapers, proclaiming that his congregants were, and I quote, all fools and knew not what they did. This was not a display of leadership at its best, and as the letter to Rabbi Wise hints, the congregation learned from the unhappy experience that it needed a rabbi who, in addition to having the essentials of learning and moral abilities, also possessed critical qualities of discretion, <laughs> discernment, and yes, common sense. <laughs> Rabbis Jonathan and Beth have all of those qualities in abundance, 
was not always true of 19th century immigrant rabbis. The letter to Rabbi Wise continues. Our congregation, being composed of men of every age and country, their opinion and feelings as to minhags, meaning liturgical customs, appears naturally divided. And this too is an important observation for it sheds significant light on American Jewish life at that time. You know, too often we assume that years ago, Jews were all united. They were in full agreement with one another and that divisions and disagreements and pluralism, these we imagine are only contemporary phenomena. Oh, if only we could turn the clock back to the good old days, some think harmony would reign anew. Well, uh, maybe harmony reigned at the Lake Wobegon Synagogue, but uh, it certainly was not a feature of any 19th century synagogue in America that I have ever studied. And as the letter to Rabbi Wise makes clear, it was most certainly not the case here at Congregation Emmanuel. Instead, American synagogues, this one included, have always been diverse and variegated, consisting of Jews who differ from one another in their backgrounds, upbringings, their experiences, their traditions, their hopes, their opinions, their outlooks. Our task is not to restore a harmony that never existed. It is instead to manage the diversity that has always existed. Ours, remember, is a tradition built since rabbinic times on machloket, on disputation. That's what our great books are all about. The challenge for a congregation, for the Jewish community as a whole, even nowadays for our senators and representatives in Washington, is how to move from disputation to action, how to focus on areas of broad agreement, how to build consensus, how to forge compromise. Fascinatingly, back in 1857, the leaders of this congregation had begun to sense one large area of consensus. Tis evident from the spirit already manifested, so they informed Rabbi Wise, that they, the congregants, are much inclined toward the reform style of service, 
orthodoxy seems to have but little sway among us. Having thus clarified where they stood religiously, the congregation indeed felt it could move forward. Consequently, their letter continued, we have no hesitation in saying that a man to lead our flock should be of the new school, meaning an exponent of reform, Judaism, and that was actually an historic decision for this congregation. It shaped its religious course from 1857 uh, to our day. Now, when it came to actually setting forth a job description for the person whom they hoped would lead a fast-growing reform congregation, your 1857 leaders seem at first glance to have stumbled. Their entire job description from beginning to end consisted of 14 words, and I quote, to lecture in the English and German languages and to superintend a Hebrew school. Those 14 words, I assure you, do not begin to describe what it means to be a rabbi of this congregation, and they never did, not even in 1857. Lecturing and superintending are but a very small part of a rabbi's mission. The rabbi's central concern should be to create and sustain dynamic Jewish life. Rabbis Jonathan and Beth are deeply proud, and rightly so, of their success through the years. New York, Seattle, now here San Francisco, they've been moving west. <laughs> through their, of their success through the years in strengthening and deepening Jews' connection to Torah. They have been advocates throughout the course of their rabbinate for lifelong learning and discussion. They've helped congregants celebrate and deepen their Jewish home lives. They've helped Jews to appreciate the richness and relevance of our tradition. The recent much-discussed Pew Center survey of American Jews with its announcement that 22% of Jews now describe themselves as Jews of no religion reminds us how much we need rabbis like Jonathan and Beth and how much more rabbis need to do than just lecture and superintend the Hebrew school. America generally and the Jewish community in particular 
is experiencing something of a religious recession in our day, and it will require, I think, great wisdom, great creativity, great leadership to reverse that recession and excite Jews anew about our tradition. That is the real challenge that rabbis face in 2013, and in many ways, it was the challenge here in San Francisco back in 1857 as well. Now, your leaders back then did not understand that challenge. They thought it would be easy to lure a rabbi. They promised, quote, as to the climate and society of this place, tis already known throughout the world. That's nice, but not sufficient. They offered the not-so-great not salary of $3,000 per year, and they added traveling expenses. Fortunately, though, your, your leaders back in 1857 soon redeemed themselves. We would strictly desire that all applications be made to you, they told Rabbi Wise, you to act with us. That is extraordinary. Congregation Emmanuel's lay leaders displayed the wisdom and humility to know how much they did not know. They had no idea what a rabbi was and how to recruit one, so they turned to Rabbi Wise, perhaps the greatest rabbi in America, for help. And history reveals that that trust was not misplaced. He played a great role in selecting Rabbi Elkin Cohn, who was actually a magnificent choice, a man who transformed this congregation during three creative decades as your rabbi. Rabbi Cohn, for his part, took a leap of faith when he crossed the country and journeyed out here to San Francisco. Unlike Rabbis Jonathan and Beth, who have deep roots here in the Bay Area and know your city well, Rabbi Cohn had never been west of Cleveland. Like Abraham in this week's Torah portion, he nevertheless set out with his family for a new land and a new destiny. He felt, as the patriarchs did, that he'd been called forth. Lech lecha, go forth. He took confidence in the hope that he was following along the path that God had selected for him. Now, all rabbis, perhaps, have a sense that they are somehow following in the footsteps of our patriarch, Abraham, and the qualities that Abraham displays, righteousness, loving kindness, a concern for justice, unwavering faith, heroism, hospitality, 
fidelity, compassion. They are surely qualities that all rabbis, indeed all human beings, might profitably seek to emulate. But I have a sense that congregations can also learn from their own history, which is why I have focused this evening on your letter in 1857 to Rabbi Isaac Mayer Wise. We learned from that letter that Jewish learning and high moral and ethical standards are necessary for a successful career in the rabbinate, but no, they're not sufficient. We learned that this congregation has always been diverse and variegated. That's what makes it Jewish. We learned that your rabbi's job is not just to lecture and superintend, but to create and sustain dynamic Jewish life. And finally, we learned from the letter how important it is to know what you don't know and to seek help from experts. I want to close this evening, however, by quoting from one other great lesson taught by uh, a great teacher from this congregation's past, Rabbi Alvin Fine, rabbi, later Rabbi Laureate here for more than half a century, beginning in 1948. Rabbi Fine, as some in this hall will remember very well, was a lover of history, a public intellectual, a professor of the humanities in addition to being a rabbi. And in 1955, he offered a message from this very pulpit that in somewhat revised form seems to me to serve as a highly appropriate concluding charge from a professor of American Jewish history to my good friends, Rabbi Jonathan and Beth Singer, as they are installed as your rabbis. Learn from the past, rabbis Jonathan and Beth, but do not live in it. Live in the present, but do not be bound to it. With hope and confidence, look to the future, but do not postpone or neglect all things waiting for it. The present moment in which the past and future mingle mysteriously is your moment of opportunity and responsibility. Rabbis Jonathan and Beth, I wish you great success as you seize the present moment and may God be with you in all that you do. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.